This is the DX Podcast, proudly presented by Wondrous. On this episode, Peter and Mirko welcome drummer and producer Greg Clifford. Hey, Gregory. Um, welcome to the DX Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a huge pleasure having you on our podcast. Would you mind giving us uh, some insights on your career thus far? What led you on the path you're on? All that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I started playing music when I was about three years old. I, I picked up drums at three, and then I started taking lessons at around five. And then I've been playing professionally since I was 14. And then uh, as soon as I graduated college, well, I went to college for uh, jazz drums. And then after I graduated from college i picked up a gig playing with this rock band white denim and uh and then since COVID happened i've been doing a lot more production-based projects uh like producing tracks uh making electronic music that sort of thing and uh and then right now there's uh we're projected to have touring and live shows really pick back up probably by in the in the u.s by september september okay yeah is it is it difficult to hold your feet still uh, that long are you missing it <laughs> definitely i mean it's been over a year already since i played i played my last show before covid i think on march 11th um so that's yeah. uh 13 months ago oh my goodness okay yeah, like at least that's like the last show that had like a lot of people in a room. I've I've done like three or four socially distant shows uh, over the couple past couple months, but it's not like a like a real doesn't feel like a real show to me yet. But it will be soon. Yeah. So, so tell me, was there an, uh, ever a point in your life when you were not going to become a drummer? You say you picked up the drums when you were three. Um, how, how do you pick up the drums when you're three? Is, were they just laying around? Does, does your dad play or your mother? So I actually don't come from a, a particularly musical family. My dad is a, he's a, like a biochemist. And my, uh, my mother played a little bit of piano, not, not professionally, but she, ha she played it as a hobby when she was growing up. Um, but they sort of saw me banging on pots and pans and stuff like that. Um, when I was really young and my dad bought like a Pearl export series drum set on eBay for like a really, really good deal. And, and then I ended up just wailing on that for a couple of years and yeah. And you never looked back. Yeah. I've never looked back. And I mean, I've so far I've, I haven't had to get like a, like what people would call a real job yet. Um, I've been able to sustain myself purely off of music so, so far. I mean, but there were definitely points during, I mean, during this pandemic where I was like, man, I really don't know if I should be doing this right now. <laughs> but, um, I got over that. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but was there any, uh, any time in your life when you, when you like didn't think you were going to become a drummer so that you thought you'd be something else or was it always your um kind of your end point um this is what i want to be in my life definitely 
pretty pretty much throughout my whole life that's what I thought I was gonna do or at least something in music um I mean like thankfully I had really supportive parents like mm-hmm. a scientist dad who would always take me to drum lessons every week and I don't know I guess since I've been doing that for so long and I got fairly good like decent at it I guess uh I just kept going with it cool well yeah fairly decent is is a pretty harsh understatement i'd say i've actually seen <laughs> i saw you play twice um uh once at the roundhouse in london actually um oh, which yeah. was uh, which was pretty incredible um but i saw also you were you were actually born uh in a place that's quite close to basel um in strasbourg yeah yeah um uh, did you ever go back I I went back when I was really really young. Yeah. Like two or two or three. So I didn't have a, a great memory of it. But um I mean, I've I've like stayed I've stopped in Strasbourg before on uh whenever I played with with Denim like mm-hmm. I think 2 months before you saw me at the Roundhouse. But that was just like a travel stop. We didn't play there. It was yeah. just like hotel outside the city and then we got out in the morning kind of deal. But yeah, I haven't really visited Strasbourg so I would love to though cool um and so I was thinking before um why would we have a drummer on a digital experience podcast um (laughs) there it's it sounds a bit weird but um actually um I I've been following you um or stalking you maybe no that's probably not the right word but um after having seen you live a couple of times um uh when you were drumming with uh white denim I obviously started to follow you, follow you on on social media, see what you were up to, and then I saw that you left um, White Denim and that you started using um, several different types of of, um, of these digital platforms. Um, and uh, I was talking about this with Mirko before we were trying to figure out um, how we could bridge this um, thought between um, like the digital um, experiences is really important for you. Um, I would assume, how would you, how would you put it in words? Um, like how, because you make with your hands, you make, uh, reverberations basically, um, of, of skins and those go through microphones into, uh, usually nowadays some sort of digital recording uh, device. Um, and that would then be processed and, and put up onto one of these digital platforms. Um, I was just trying to kind of bridge that thought between like making a sound and then it being on on one of these digital platforms. How would you kind of put that in in words? That kind of process of um, the the handcraft being transported into the like digital sphere. Yeah. So it, this sort of brings me back to when I started getting into audio recording. Um, I remember getting like my first drum mic pack when I was like 14 or so. Uh and I'm I'm 25 now. So I've had like a long time just like messing around with audio recording, m- just making really bad demos <laughs> over the course of the years. Um mm-hmm. and but like as y- right now you can sort of see I have this I have like my studio set up right here. And uh Yes, and then once I started investing in a lot better mics and better gear, I was able to get more higher quality recordings. And um, 
and then that also like that also stresses the importance of 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 how to produce um which uh because of the pandemic pretty much everybody every musician i knew like started getting into audio audio production making beats and stuff like that um but the pr yeah the process is basically just getting well first you need to make a good sound on the drum set so a lot of that's just your technique how you play and then mm -hmm. and there's also like there's to me at least i i have two like different brains i turn on whenever i'm playing drums like i have a live way of playing and then i have a studio way of playing um okay studio having you're thinking more about you're you're playing the drums as a producer pretty much you're thinking uh particularly on each each hit that you play like making sure you're not you're changing your volume every time you hit the snare drum or the kick drum i mean that's what that's what compressors are for but you could not have to rely on a compressor super hard mm -hmm. to to make everything even but um yeah so you have good technique you have nice gear which took me a long time to get because <laughs> audio <laughs> audio stuff is very expensive um yeah. and then um yeah getting it onto the onto these digital platforms so with um so with all this lo-fi hip-hop stuff that i've been making like with my band slug and mm -hmm. uh stuff under my name we uh are we use a distributor called dashgo um and and there's a lot of uh a lot of lo-fi folks that i know are are using dashgo uh because there's really good um like the owner of dashgo has really nice lo-fi playlists for us mm -hmm. specifically like on apple music and um so that's always really nice um, but yeah, I mean, uh, like everybody I knew was trying to push out music during the quarantine because everyone is sort of in that panic mode of like, oh, I can't play a show at all. So I need to figure out how to tap into this digital world. And so everybody's social media is getting beefed up like crazy. <laughs> I mean, like I used to never really post, I would post maybe like once a week or like every other week but then because of that I, I was i felt more inclined to just like try to keep posting every day but then i kind of got burnt out on it a little bit but uh, well, that's what uh, social media does to you it just it kind of sucks your soul and and yeah. spits it out again um if you don't get Definitely. any likes of course <laughs> <laughs> but is yeah. there is there like anything that you feel is missing um because like if you think back maybe 20 years or so before uh, all of these uh, digital platforms were around uh, where you had this this space where you could kind of self-promote, um, like bands would have agents and agents would make sure you get these gigs and you'd have your um, A&R man who would make sure you could record your albums or make sure you recorded your albums um, and made sure there were singles on them as well. Um, and, uh, and, and now... Um, you know, it's it's self-promotion, right? And you're building your own brand. And this is what I thought was quite interesting, kind of watching watching you kind of grow into this role as well from 
uh, you know, the drummer that was distinctly a part of white denim to someone that really kind of became his own um, a musician under his own terms as well, I guess. Yeah, is that? Did I recognize something there that was was there, or um, did that was was that just happenstance? No, it's definitely like I've had a plan of of wanting to release music under my own name for a while, um, and like speci- specifically like that lo-fi lo-fi hip hop stuff, um, mm-hmm. be- because. Uh, like I have a buddy of mine. He goes by Luke. He's a he's he's on a bunch of like Spotify editorial lo-fi playlists. So he's he's he gets about like one and a half million monthly listeners or so. Um, okay. And and so he runs this label called Coleslaw, which is based mm-hmm. in uh, in Rotterdam. And and he and I we actually went to college together in Austin. He's a, he's a dual citizen. So he always is back and forth between Texas and, and Holland. And, um, and, and he's always, he was the first of, of, uh, of like our group of friends to, to really push out a bunch of like production stuff and re- release his own music. And, mm-hmm. um, and like, since, since he's done that, that, it took him about like two to two to three years to really get where he is, like just really pushing the production game stuff and and now he's sort of uh with the creation of that coleslaw lo-fi label he's he's sort of paving the way for his his friends to pretty much kind of release music through that avenue because because you know he has these connections and things like that um and so basically when quarantine happened that was also a better more of an inclination for me to push push my own music out so I I would uh, I would try to I think it was like make a beat a day for as many days as I could, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, and he basically got all of our friends to do it at the same time, which was then that became like the creation of Slug. We were all just making beats together, and we ended up pooling together like. 45 ideas and we're still like skimming through those ideas today on top of making more ideas can i ask what what does it mean even to have one and a half uh, listens on spotify per month is that not like to quantify that number um does it does it mean like you get some kind of reimbursement from spotify that that people are listening to this or how does that work yeah so Spotify, I think, pays out point zero zero three four of a of a dollar per stream, but and and then that that number is then split either between like your publisher and your label. So you got to split that thing twice, and then if it's publishing, say you had three people write that song, you got to split that piece three times on top of that, and then on the other half of like the part that the label owns, then you have to sometimes split that between every musician that's played on that track. So you basically, you basically get like the smallest piece of the pie. But like with my my buddy Luke and all those other lo-fi people, they have about 1.5 million plus monthly listeners. And, and so then because of that, they're able to generate enough revenue from these streams because they're being streamed that many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
and this brings me back to my buddy Luke. He so since he's been able to do that for so long, he hasn't had to take a gig that he didn't want to do ever. Um Okay. Yeah. Wow. And But uh, uh, is it is it right that uh, that um calculates to $450 per month? The one and a half million listens? I'm not sure if I had the right calculation there. I just typed it into my calculator. So that's also just just on Spotify. Um Oh, app, okay. App. So he has different channels. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and so like with our distributor through Dashgo, we have we release everything on Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, Deezer, uh, uh other things probably. <laughs> so um yeah, it's it's when you take into consideration all the other stuff, it'll like a- also Apple Music just pays out a little bit better than Spotify does. Um so right but but so you you need to have like real sorry for speaking i've been quiet (laughs) (laughs) you weren't supposed to speak i know it's unexpected yeah i'm I'm just a sounding board for peter usually has to look at (laughs) at someone else from time to time no but what that means basically like there's a there's a huge barrier to entry right to make a living from that until like a service like dashco came along like what have you been able to to like actually make a living or your buddy Luke would have been able to make a living from from his music before that like just from streaming because because it does sound like a tiny amount of money but if you like if you spread it to all the services then it's enough how how does that work it's it's still a long game it's a really yeah. long <laughs> long game like so i think yes yeah, since i started really dropping music consistently since february or or January or February I I can't really remember. I think I've made like like $25 a month still. So it's it's still like a long you, you got to it's it's a very long game. I'll I'll say I'll yeah. say that. Um but I mean my my buddy Luke has been able to sustain himself for I a little like a little over a year now. So it's it's kind of the, that's kind of the end goal. And also, if you think of the amounts of content that's being produced at the moment by people like your buddy Luke and yourself, um, mm-hmm. luckily not not by me, um, but the amounts of, of content that's being produced is uh, is is almost kind of uh, you know m- mind melting. Um, and how how to how do you kind of um, how how would you stick out from all of the or cut through the noise? Let's put it that way. Like, um, using your social media channels to to you know get that kind of uh, attention, or um, is there something like you? Are you missing something from the music industry at the moment? Um, a lot of that comes down to to like really finding out who your your audience is. Um, mm. but I do. I mean, yeah. Since since uh music production is so accessible to a lot of people, it's definitely, you know, a lot more people are getting involved in it, and some might lead it to being like an oversaturated market. I mean, I'm kind of all for everyone kind of making music, um, mm-hmm. and you know, if if your music has quality to it, it will it will automatically stand out. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, a lot of these lo-fi guys they don't have that big of a social media presence yet they can generate a bunch of of streams and have have actual revenue come in um mm. 
but I mean a lot a lot of like like some people specifically play the the playlisting editorial game they'll make they'll make the music specifically for the playlists which is you know I think that's pretty smart if that's what you want to do um so I don't exactly think I'm missing much I mean I I also I I also split like my social media between like drum stuff and then sometimes like pr- production stuff but mm-hmm. you know as a as a drummer um I say that I feel like the social media is a little more useful for like pushing like like musicians and stuff like that just because people want people want to see people play chops and be flashy and stuff like that it's yeah, of it's course, kind yeah. of attractive to people um but yeah do you have a do you have a feeling for where the the industry might be headed in the next couple of years because a lot of people have been talking about how how much um you know covid has been accelerating um these kind of uh, non-physical events the um you know anything that's not in person um and which also makes it easier for like things to become more global as well um you have less feeling that you like need to go out there and and uh, um uh, you need to travel to new york to do something specific that you act you could actually do online nowadays is that um where where do you kind of feel the the industry headed in the next couple of years well like yeah i mean a lot of everyone is making music outside of their i mean in in their own homes pretty much and even studios now like the like i went to a studio a, a couple of weeks ago and it's in this guy's house um and it's not like i mean it's pretty awesome. Like he's got this nice finely tuned room inside his house and stuff like that, but it's, uh, everything is coming. It's basically very, I mean, everything is getting smaller and everybody's getting Mm -hmm. access to it. Um, Mm. like with their, especially with, you can now make music on your phone, on your iPad. Mm -hmm. You can, you could play You could use logic on your iPad. I think something like that. Um, but do you think, do you think that's a good thing? I I think so. I it's definitely more affordable. I mean, the I, the idea that that bands back then had to go into a studio and they had to get an advance from a label to go into this studio is is kind of super crazy to me, but that's just cuz I'm I'm kind of young and I and I I honestly don't see the point of doing any of that if you could do that at, at your house. If you can mm-hmm. you can like, like for example, like Kevin Parker of Tame Impala, he yeah, rec- I was just he he records all his drums with like SM57s and a few like MD421s, which are super affordable microphones. Like the 57s, less than a hundred dollars, and but he still gets amazing sound. So I kind of and you know a lot of a lot of artists that I follow do all of their production like inside of their house pretty much and they get a great mm-hmm. sound you 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 really just need to have someone that can mix your stuff really well for you um but i mean i th- yeah i do think it's a good thing somewhat i mean for like studios are st- 
I I think studios are like big studios are going to remain because there's always going to be a budget for that. I I feel you know with bigger artists and, mm. and stuff like that. But like like the the white denim studio Radio Milk that we would record or like the last three records that they've done there. Uh, it's it was an old it was an old shotgun shack house that was built in the 50s and you know it gets a great sound in there one of one of the best sounds of like a drum room that i've been in so yeah it's do you think it maybe makes it a little bit more kind of intuitive as well for people to use um so you don't have to be um, you don't have to go to university to study sound engineering. Um, you can, it, it's become something that's become a lot more accessible, um, in that sense. Yeah, definitely. Like, like for, I mean, yeah, you could go to, you could go to school for it. Um, but you know, most of it's like, you're not going to really be behind like an, like a Neve board every time you're going to record a band um you know most of the time you're probably going to have like a 10 input interface and you might have a couple items of rat gear like th- three or four things you could plug into um you know and like like for me here i have i have this i have this uh really cheap 16 input interface from Tascam and i i don't own any rat gear personally because that's really expensive uh, stuff so but I have this interface that goes straight into my laptop and you know realistically like this is this is what a lot of people are gonna are having in their own homes and yeah and just a few decent mics but yeah it definitely teaches you how to really improvise really work with what you have it it gets it makes you sort of get to know the the like your microphones and you know it really makes you think and yeah and there's that um old saying that uh that goes uh shit in shit out right um so the sound that goes into the microphone should be good in the beginning i guess and and the better you are able at producing a good sound the better the sound will sound like when it goes through the microphone (laughs) of course exactly sounds like it makes sense but uh i think a lot of people might uh might forget that part um so i want to talk about um inspiration um also because um uh, you know the um, there's a lot of uh, creative people that listen to this uh podcast um designers and and the like um and um you know there's there's always the question of like um if if you're under pressure to to you know be creative um is is there is there a way that you kind of that you would deal with that kind of pressure and it's like do you go for a walk or, <laughs> or um or is it something that you kind of like intrinsically have inside of you already because it's just a part of your job so we will go back to like the the beginning of the pandemic i guess um so everyone goes into panic mode right everyone starts making tracks everyone's really trying to collaborate uh like through social media all the time um i mean we were pushing each other to make beats all the time too um and so like naturally 
like naturally I would always want to try to keep producing every day. I try to make a beat a day every day. I try to at least, you know, get on the drums for like 30 minutes to an hour every day. I used to do like six hours a day, but I can't really do that anymore. Um, but, um, yeah. And then sometimes, you know, you definitely just have to take a, a break completely. So there was a point during the pandemic where I didn't touch my drums for like two and a half months. Cause I was okay. just, I was wow. just like, wow, I, I was, I was really down. I was like, uh, what's the point of doing this music stuff if I can't like play shows? I can't, you know, I, I haven't made any money in like four months. Like it's, uh, it was kind of brutal, but you know, time away from everything, you, you come back with, with a, a new perspective of, I mean, a fresh perspective, at least like I, like, um, like I was out of town for a week this past week and, you know, getting away from music and then coming back to it, it's, it, it is refreshing to me. That's sort of how I, I'll deal with it sometimes. Um, or like say, say I get burnt out on making beats every day and then maybe one week I just want to strictly just work on practicing drums. Um, that happens too sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I guess before the pandemic, a lot of it would, I would be on two, I would be on the road all the time. And so whenever I'd come back home, I was like, oh man, I haven't created, I haven't written any music in three weeks. So then I, then I would hit it super hard on my, on my days back at home. So yeah, the, it's, I'm, the drive is always there, but you can get burnt out on it. But mm. that's just, that's sort of like with everything you can get burnt out on working a job. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but am I right? You're, you're kind of, you're kind of enjoying it. Yeah. Is that right? More, more it, or it less. It definitely seems yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I definitely, I definitely do enjoy it. I get to make music with my friends, which is yeah. the least I could ask for during a time like this too. Yeah. But still those shows, right? Yeah. You know, shows are, I, you know, I'm, I, I kind of wish for the days where you could be packed into a, a, a sweaty club, you know, or, uh, but I mean, like when shows come back, there's, there definitely needs to be some change for sure. Like, you know, or at least, uh, here in Austin, there's a lot of, um, like venues will barely, like if you're a local band playing a show, like on a Saturday night, you're hard pressed to like actually make any real money off of it. Um, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I've, as, as much as I would love for these shows to come back, there has to be some structural change, uh, to actually get these musicians compensated for their time, you know, like, cause you know, playing like a 45 minute set on a Saturday night, like in a, in a poppin' club, you should be, you know, you should be making some money off of that, but yeah. And then. I don't know how I feel about having like f seven band bills back back on being mm -hmm. into existence again, you know, because I mean, I'm also like the pandemic turned me into like, like I'm going to bed by like 11 p.m. So, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's like, I don't know how how I could stay up for these shows again. <laughs> 
But I'm, yeah, you know, it's going to take a lot of getting used to. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I just went to a, to a circus show yesterday. Um, the oh. fir- like the first like form of culture and uh, like performance I've, I've seen since, uh, yeah, probably six or seven months. Cause we, we opened up a bit here, uh, mm-hmm. for a while, but, uh, it's all closed down again now. And now some stuff is opening up again. That was just amazing. Just, just seeing these performers doing their thing and the, and the audience reacting to it. And as uh, kind of emotional, really like, uh, but again, I, I got tired at ten, so I went home. But yeah, <laughs> but it was still. I, I think we have to like slowly ramp back up, but it's it's going to be worth it. I think I, I've missed it. I've definitely missed it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you definitely hear a lot of people are kind of changing their daily habits uh, now that they don't actually need to be out so late. But I have uh, two young daughters who uh, get me out of bed at quarter past six in the morning anyway. So I'm I'm dead to the world after half past ten. Um, so, yes, um, you live in Austin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which is uh, like everyone knows it's a fantastic place to be as a musician um well maybe not so much right now um but you have your community there um and you guys um uh i would assume um are still in touch um but i've seen a lot of um like really big tech companies moving into town as well um have you felt uh kind of any change um through that like rents going up or um, well you know uh, changes happening in 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 the nightlife and, and that kind of stuff well, um, yeah, so Elon Musk, <laughs> okay, so Elon Musk kind of pissed off a lot of musicians here. So there used to be this rehearsal space called Music Lab on on South Elmo Street, and um, and then it's, it basically, uh, Elon Musk is putting a Tesla showroom right where this rehearsal spot is, so they're wiping this rehearsal spot out. And so now there's only like one decent rehearsal space in Austin because there's a a Tesla showroom that's going to be built on top of where that place was. So, yeah, we've definitely seen the effects of all these tech companies coming in. Traffic's getting worse. The city, the city is growing. It's insane how fast it is, how it's growing. And, you know, we also still don't have the infrastructure of actual like loop interstates to really get around fast. Um, yeah, it, there's a huge impact with like, I mean, I, it, br- it brings in a lot of money for the city, which is good to a point, but, um, like the music, the music community is not really seeing the benefits of all this new money coming in at all. Um, Mm-hmm. it's like they they would call the city of austin the live music capital of the world but like oh yeah here there's the there's a very touristy part in austin texas called south congress um and they have this street called music lane but there's no music on music lane there's like a lululemon store uh uh you know designer uh clothing stores on this music lane starbucks probably yeah or and it's it's just like it's kind of just ridiculous and it's yeah it it's it's funny 
in a way, but it, it's also kind of kind of lame <laughs> in a way. But yeah, I guess that's the drawback to being a really cool city is that people catch on to it uh, after a while. Um, it's happened uh, like all across the world. There have been uh, I don't know Berlin uh, had has the same problems right now. It's it was it was known to be um, such a great city to to live in. I'm sure it still is, but. Um, you know, whilst it was um, incredibly easy to f to find a, a good and affordable flat in Berlin, maybe ten years ago, now it's it's virtually impossible um, to add a add a rent that you can actually afford. So, yeah, you see this kind of happening to cool cities where um, you know it it attracts um, you know the uh, the the young kind of. Uh, uh, how would I put it? Like, the yeah, new the tech money. kind of community. Or the, yeah, yeah, new money, absolutely. New money. Um, it, it'll go in that direction, um, of course. Um, so I guess that'll happen to any city that's that's kind of cool. So, which is kind of good about living in Basel because Basel's not cool. Um, <laughs> so we know it's not... <laughs> so we know it's not going to change too much um, for the worse. Um, yeah, no pretenses over here. Yeah. Um, Cool. Uh, so, if you were the mayor of of Austin, what what would you change? Oh man, well, that's a load. That's a really loaded question. There's a lot of things I I would love to change here, <laughs> if I were the mayor. Well, I mean, if you have all of these tech companies coming in, then they're paying taxes, I would assume, or maybe they have a little bit of tax relief. But the people that are coming to work for these companies, they're paying taxes. So at least there's there's um, you know some benefits. Um, I'm just uh, like yeah, Berlin as well. They're kind of losing the the cultural scene because they're being pushed outside of the cities, like San yeah. Francisco as well, I guess. Um, yeah, that's that's exactly what's happening here, um, man. Yeah, I, I mean, in a perfect world, I would love to fix the affordability issue because most mm -hmm. of most of working musicians here, like. If they wanted to buy a house, um, you'd have to, you'd probably have to look like in San Marcos, which is a city like 30 miles south of here, or the northern suburbs like, like, like Georgetown, which is like 40 miles north, and, mm -hmm. or, or you might find this, there's like a, another small town to the east of us called Maynor, which is I guess it's still affordable, but it's like you you'd be lucky to find a house that's under four hundred thousand dollars anywhere near um near this is the like Austin, the center of Austin pretty much. Um yeah, the the uh, the affordability issue here is 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 of great concern because there's uh there's a huge uh wealth gap you know all these tech companies coming in and but we also have a very high number of, of homeless population and and you know it's 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 driving that number even higher and then the city also doesn't really have a plan to set up like or to quickly get affordable housing for all these people so yeah it's it's just very weird you know peop these these tech companies come to they come to Texas because they don't want to pay as higher taxes as they do in California. So mm -hmm. it's, 
Yeah. And so it's very... Um, and because California is kind of crowded now. Yeah. Texas, uh, still a lot of space left. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's still a, a little little bit of space. But, yeah, that's, that's a huge issue. Um, I mean, even within the within the music community here in Austin, um, like, like representation is also a really huge issue. Um, like a lot of, a lot of black and brown communities, um, or at least a lot of black and brown musicians can't afford to even live in the city. So they don't qualify for like the city's COVID benefits that they did a couple months ago. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and so like, that there goes our our hip-hop scene that goes our r&b scene and you you see it on stage here too even long even before COVID happened it was it was super um you know white male dominated kind of music um very hard to get to get like a good hip-hop act to play and you know that that also impacted the artists that would come tour through here um Mm -hmm. so yeah, there's a lot of things that I would love to change <laughs> about this city. So, maybe we should make you mayor then. <laughs> no, I don't want that stress. <laughs> no. Cool. Uh, it's a. I mean, it's been a pleasure talking to you, um, Greg. Yeah, li- thanks for likewise. thanks for taking the time, and um, yeah, we'll be we'll be dropping in uh, all of the links that you mentioned um, to to all of your different channels. Mm-hmm. Um, into the description of this podcast and um just uh another thank you for yeah thanks. taking the time thanks so much peter and, and mirko this is super fun we have reached the end of this digital experience podcast thanks for listening for further information about us please head over to weawondrous.com